Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Walden. Today's guest is Roddy Ropner. Roddy owns a wine import company based in Hong Kong called Wellspring Wines. Welcome. Thank you. So let's wind back before you got to Hong Kong. What were you doing before then to get into the wine industry? Well, I came to the wine industry uh, via Christie's, actually. My first career was with Christie's. I spent 20 years there. But in, I, in London or? I started in London and then I moved to Hong Kong, back to London, then to Japan, then to Singapore. All with Christie's? Always. All with Christie's. So 20 years with Christie's. So when did you start with them? Uh, in London, in the Chinese department. In which year there? 19... 87. Well, that's quite early in the game. Yes. Was that as prices were taking off for Bordeaux en Primo with the sort of Parker 82 vintage, that kind of thing? Well, actually, no, I was in the Chinese department then. But absolutely, one of the things that we I became very aware of uh, when I moved to Asia was the, the level of interest in wine. So when so, you say you're in the Chinese, was that, I mean, auctioning paintings and fine art or was that wine? Fine art, porcelain, Chinese okay. porcelain. So actually, I spent 20 years as a Chinese art specialist and in management role. And then um, when I left Christie's, I started doing wine courses. Studying? Studying. So actually, I'd always been interested in wine, but it was having, the, having left Christie's and having a bit of time to do what I wanted. That's when I started to become more involved in wine. So why did you leave Christie's? What was the gap? 20 years in one company. Then I thought I'd set up my own business. And, Which was uh, what, an import business for fine no, art? No, not at all. I thought I was going to be a, an art dealer. You thought you were going to be an art dealer? Yeah. And then I started to do some wine courses. So hang on, hang on, hang on. How did, how did that go? That, that was obviously <laughs> skating over that part of your life. No, it, it, basically, if you work for Christie's, you work pretty much 20 hours a day you work flat out around the auctions which happen maybe four or five times a year you travel around the world so you don't have much time to do the things that you wanted to do so when I left Christie's I thought okay I'll play golf I'll take wine lessons and I, I knew I wasn't going to be a professional golfer so I started to enjoy the wine lessons I did uh, WSET level two level three did the diploma and during the course of that somebody said oh you seem interested in wine why don't we start a wine business I was in Hong Kong and said oh yes I know a few people in the wine business uh, that, that, that seems like a good idea so we started a, a wine business in Hong Kong about about 10 years ago Hong Kong 10 years ago how easy was it for a westerner to do business there I would say actually it's very easy to do business in Hong Kong and uh, I, perhaps my advantage was that I've actually been going to Hong Kong for the last 35 years plus so I knew quite a lot of people and through Christie's I knew quite a lot of people and language skills well I have got a degree in Chinese and I spent a year in China in 1982 but my Chinese is lousy actually so uh, in Hong Kong you can get by with English that's classic in British university systems and just handing out <laughs> degrees like confetti to complete idiots you know I, I've got a degree inside I'm a complete idiot in the degree what's yours in a history in English I know bugger all about both. <laughs> anyway alright so that was so you're in Hong Kong and you you decided to give this uh, wine business a go. Yeah. So what was your focus initially? Was it just fine wine or were you importing Muscadet at one year or a litre? No, absolutely. So the, the point was to try and find uh, small family-owned producers that we could work with. And the reason for that was that uh, I didn't particularly want to deal with, uh, let's say, sales managers or marketing managers. I wanted to deal with small producers that we could uh, hunt out. A direct dialogue with a wine grower, not exactly. some intermediary. Exactly. And uh, so we started import. We actually worked, I suppose, classically working with, with French in Burgundy. Do they make wine? Apparently. <laughs> 
And then, uh, so at that time, that's what people in Hong Kong uh, were interested in. So I started importing some Bordeaux and then um, I moved to Burgundy. And uh, then the sort of, if you want to say, the, the sort of Italian epiphany was, uh, was someone said, oh, why don't you go to um, Barbaresco? It's not unlike Burgundy. It was part of France, wasn't it? Well, so. yes, exactly. So uh, I, I moved there, had a, a fantastic tasting at a winery in Barbaresco, in fact. And then uh, a year later, went back to do another tasting and then I met the owner. We started talking about uh, working together. So it, it really stemmed from that sort of chance. Was this also at the time when, when prices for those finer Italian wines were getting due recognition in the market? Or were they still competitively priced compared to Bordeaux and no, Burgundy? Th- they were competitively priced. And I think what, what was slightly appealing and I, I think perhaps that's sort of what I've always enjoyed is is t- to be a bit ahead of the curve particularly as, as, as we've just seen in, in the Barbaresco tasting it's not as well known as Barolo but the quality is there so for me it was interesting to find someone that's a good good producer um, that wasn't well known and it involved obviously a bit more work to explain Barbaresco but uh, that was perhaps it's more satisfying. So when you say getting ahead of the curve was your decision to study Chinese a strategic move? So mm-hmm. a very clever girl at my school who well, I must have been well, it was probably the early 80s who was studying yeah. Mandarin and I thought why would you want to do that? And she really and she's yeah. obviously got a career out of it now. Was that, were, you, were you the same or did you just fancy studying an oriental language? I think language? I w- I'd always been interested in Asia. I remember telling my father I was going to study Chinese. He wasn't very happy. What did he expect you to study Latin? No, I think he wanted to do accountancy or something like that, or something sensible. But anyway, so um, I'd, I'd got done A-levels in French and Spanish, so I thought oh, I can do those anytime. I can go to France, Spain anytime. China seemed to me very interesting. It was, and it was very interesting. But uh, it was, again, perhaps a little too far ahead of the game, because by when I graduated, there were not that many jobs involved. So you bided your time? I bided my time. And started selling Barbaresco to the Chinese? Yes. Well, yes, that's another story. So um, initially, we had planned to uh, do business in China, but it became uh, increasingly obvious that it was much easier to do business in Hong Kong than in China. So, in terms of, was this before the handover, the '97 handover, the no. British? No. So this is this is. So I, I was still at Christie's in '97. So uh, I didn't start the wine business till. 2009. So this was when Hong Kong was again part of China. Hong Kong has uh, been you know, part of China and uh, things are booming. And of course, the big thing at that time was, I think, 2008. They just import the, uh, dropped the import tariffs. So in fact, wine was, wine was on everybody's mind. I mean, the, the market was booming at that stage. Prestige wines were popular for what reason at that time? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Before that, the tax had been up to 80%. So they were prestigious. Any wine that was expensive was prestigious. And that was part of the cachet that you could afford, afford the wine. So if it was expensive, it automatically was prestigious. It, it, it gained some cachet from that. And what about the gift but giving? In Hong Kong, that's not, not so much part of it. I mean, there is a lot of gift giving, but it's not, it's not to the same extent as, as in mainland China. But the one thing about Hong Kong is that when the tariffs dropped, the number of importers increased, the number of schools increased, and the number of wines coming in increased. We had two new MWs. So the level of interest in wine was, was huge. Um, and people love learning. So there was a, a lot of, uh, you know, it was a boom time. Really. So you started selling Barbaresco. Yes. And then? My idea actually was to um, try and do something like uh, along the Bordeaux line, just perhaps to take from the different communes someone from the different communes in, in Barbaresco and then maybe we do the same thing with, with Barolo. But actually, my um, the people that I was working with uh, in Barbaresco are quite, are quite well known. It's called Mar- Marchese di Cresi. They also have quite a lot of wines. I was quite happy just working with them 
and uh, that felt sort of quite comfortable to me. And now? Then last year I moved, uh, my wife and I, my wife's Japanese actually, so we, we moved back to Japan. Basically I've been living in Asia for about 30 something years and moving every few years, so we decided we'd better settle down. So we decided to settle down. Well, the two options were to go back to England or to move to Japan, and you tell me which is a better option. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't well, been to I, Japan, so... <laughs> okay, you must come, Martin. So um, we decided to move to Japan, where I've lived on three previous occasions and worked there. So um, that that seemed like a natural fit. So apart from Barbaresco and Piemonte's wine, do you, are you working with any other regions in Italy for the Hong Kong market? We, we did have a, a Suave, but I think that was just a very commercial... But if it was a Suave priced at, I don't know, 100 euros a bottle like a Barbaresco, is it... No, like, it doesn't work like that. No, I mean the, the Barbarescos that that, were, that I was selling were yes, some were 100 euros. The Suave was basically my business was selling to people who I would say were interested enough in wine, but Hong Kong's a society where people are, are, are time poor, so they call up and say, "Roddy, look, I'm having dinner next week. I want a really nice red wine." And the following day is my my teenage daughter's party. Give me a cheap white wine. So I've got this nice suave for you isn't that a bit frustrating though uh, no no not at all because the advantage for me generally in the, the good thing about the hong kong market i found was that on the whole people would start off by what have you got and price would come second i don't know what that's like in, in other markets but I, I didn't feel that i had to compete with people on price and now the market with a well, sort of crackdown on um with this you know this sort of uh as you mentioned before the gift giving yeah. culture in china Again, I think my, my, my whole strategy was not to try and uh, sell to the same people that everyone else is selling to. It was, it's more in that, that sort of market of, of people who are interested, but they're busy, they're traveling. So it hasn't really been affected by that. It's perhaps I'm selling mostly to private clients, so it's more affected by things like uh, expatriates leaving. Are we talking about people that work in the finance industry that get reposted? Finance, or? Yeah, exactly. That's what I think, lawyers, bankers. But are they sort of, I mean, this is a bit of a generalization, but again, is it just about the status symbol? I want an expensive Italian wine or I want a particular Barbaresco or no, Barolo? I think, I, I think uh, once, once you get to that level, spending 100 euros a bottle, people, people are incredibly knowledgeable. And the great thing uh, about Hong Kong was that, you know, you've got things like the Hong Kong Wine Society, for example, where they have these amazing tastings that people are allowed to go to but there's a huge interest in, in learning and there's some very knowledgeable people there. isn't one of the advantages of uh, working with italian wine this kind of seems, seems quite ironic given the horrendous sort of scandals that have affected the fine wine market particularly for red bordeaux and burgundy with yeah. fakery yeah. Like we won't mention any names but you know there have been convictions of real sort of household names almost in the wine industry of famous bordeaux and that hasn't doesn't really seem to have happened so much with people trying to imitate barolo and barbaresco because they are not as expensive as latour or Le feet or Le Pain. Has that been an advantage, do you think, or does that not really enter into the equation? Well, I, I, I'm sure that in the 2000s, sort of, with a huge rise in prices of Bordeaux and then Burgundy, 10, 11, 12, those sort of, at that time, people started to look elsewhere. I don't think that it was a question so much of, of faking in, in the home, although that issue has been raised later. But I think it was a question of price. Suddenly people think, who've been collecting Bordeaux, think, do I really want to pay 300, 400, 500 euros a bottle? when there's plenty of other good wines out there. 
Yeah. Do you think that's going to be the future course in terms of the global economy? I could definitely see that happening. Just the, the, the way the prices have gone for, for first for Bordeaux and then for, then for Burgundy, people start looking around and then they think, okay, so it's Italy at the moment, but why, you know, Spain, Spain next? Or, or Isn't that one advantage of working in the fine art market? If you spend a lot of money on a, I don't know, a Monet, for example, you have it for life. Yeah. And unless you do something really stupid, it's just not going to deteriorate. You can always enjoy it. You can always look at it with a flipping bottle of wine. You open it and it's corked <laughs> or it's been adulterated or it was just terrible wine in the first place. It got overrated by some not-know-it-all critic. I was in the Chinese porcelain department, so there's always a danger that someone will break your vase. I suppose that could be a problem. Or drop your bottle. Or drop your bottle, yes. Your prediction of um, Italian wine in general in China, I mean, not just talk about the fine wine market, but just in, in general, are, is, there a, is there the consumer knowledge base there where consumers will, or, or, or the mechanisms by which people can learn about the, the Italian wine, so the difference between Chianti and Barbaresco, or Bar- and Barbaresco and Barolo? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, that's really the appeal of doing this course. The Italian Wine Academy course? Yes. This is the first course and, and set of material that I've seen that can really help people to learn more. And, I, and people are desperate to learn. As Ian keeps saying, there haven't been that many good books recently. And so I, mean, I use Ian's book to actually not only to learn, but to go and visit producers, not, not looking to import their wine, but just to go and taste the, taste the wines and taste the grapes, see what they should be like. Do you see your activity morphing into something a little bit different in the future in China and Hong uh, Kong? No, I think well, no, now that I've moved to Japan, the market there is so different to Hong Kong, so I'm still sort of investigating that market. So what's the difference? I mean, in terms is of it, organics, they're, they're very, very strict. I think they're one of the strictest countries to export organic wine to because it really tough regulations about labelling and everything. Yes, and uh, I think there's, there's some things that, you know, some like sorbic acid, they don't allow wines with sorbic acid into the country. But for my, for my own position, I don't think you're being an importer there. I'm thinking more perhaps of doing something along the lines of you know, wine education. That being said, I say that the Japanese sort of the current interest in wine uh, it stems back probably to the early 70s. So it's a little bit earlier than Hong Kong. It's Hong Kong's what, seven and a half million people. Japan's 127 million people. So you've got a different scale. And their level of knowledge is as good as anyone's. And, and, and particularly people who've mentioned uh, Bordeaux and Burgundy in particular. But there are a lot of people who are very knowledgeable about Italian wines as well. But I still don't think that necessary. There's there's the material that that we've got like in the in Italy International Academy available to people yet. So that's what I'm hoping. Perhaps we might be able to promote Italian wine through these these courses. From fine art to talking about Chianti Classico or Barbaresco or Barbaresco or Vino di Tavola or Suave <laughs> or Suave or, or whatever <laughs> or the 550 grapes or the 550 grapes yeah which um, are very very hard to um, what, what, and why the name Wellspring what did you call it it, it, came, it came about because uh, when I, we started in uh, Hong Kong actually we I, I had a Chinese partner and I said, since we're going to be saying to Chinese people, you choose, you choose the name in, in Chinese. And it had to do with bamboo groves and, and springs and whatever. So I thought, okay, I can't really go, I can't call that a company like that. So we'll just do Wellspring Wines. Right. Yeah. Okay, we're glad we got that, that one sorted out. I just want to say thanks to Roddy Ropner of Wellspring Wines based in Hong Kong, former art dealer. Specialist. Sorry, auction uh, specialist. Auction specialist. <laughs> I'm not like making you sound like you're sort of selling monets in the back of your I wish I was. Your, <laughs> your your truck. I wish I was. You know. <laughs>
know, French relations. I can't. So. No, I think it's a very respectable profession, but it's a, it's a very different profession. So. Yeah. I just want to say thanks to Roddy Ropner of Wellspring Wines in Hong Kong. Thanks for coming in. And hopefully we'll be able to follow your progress with either fine Italian wine or non-fine Italian wine in Hong Kong, Japan, etc. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 